Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mancers Podcast. You know, I, as I go through the episodes, I keep thinking about how much relationships change before marriage and after marriage. And there's a lot of things that do change. And one of the things that change is in your sex life, of course. You know, because let's face it, before marriage, what are you doing? You're trying to use all types of birth control methods in order to prevent pregnancy before marriage. Now, after marriage, you may still use some birth control methods as part of your family planning. And, you know, part of that is you want to say, well, we don't want to have kids right away. We want to get settled in our careers and so on and so forth. But, Regardless of, you know, your family planning and all of that, you know, until you're done having kids, once you're married, there's no condoms in the relationship. The condoms come off completely and therefore birth control becomes more of the responsibility of the women in the relationship. And, you know, that's because there's not really a whole lot of available options here. Now, For men, there are only two options when it comes to birth control, condom or a vasectomy. And since a vasectomy is permanent, the only way that men have uh, to, or the only type of birth control men have is condoms. And you know what? Condoms suck. We all know it. We only put up with it. You know, we only put up with condoms as part of premarital pregnancy prevention. and you know, mostly as teens, you know, once we're adults and we're married, you know, things are different. But also, you know, we primarily only put up with it as teens because, you know, even women, you know, as teenagers don't usually have access uh, to other forms of birth control, at least not unless they're willing to have a conversation with their parents talking about how they are sexually active. And there's a lot of, you know, problems with that. That's a pretty hard conversation to have talking, you know, uh, for women to have, you know, talking about how they're sexually active and therefore they need birth control. So we mostly uh, just put up with condoms as, you know, a pregnancy prevention because we don't have access to anything else and, you know, generally not married. And this may also be why, you know, for women, you know, sex as teenagers is not very satisfying or fulfilling because as we've stated, condoms suck. They suck. They dull the sensation. They add extra friction. And this may be part of the reason why there are so many horror stories for women uh, talking about their first time, how losing their virginity really, really hurts. And I can't help but to think that a large part of what causes the additional pain and discomfort uh, when losing your virginity comes from the condom itself. You know, it adds in that extra friction. It adds in a little extra layer. You know, it dulls the sensation, you know, uh, for men. So men don't get as much sexual pleasure, but it also, you know, dulls uh, the sexual sensation for women as well. And, 
you know, goes through and can prevent orgasms because basically a condom is really just a rubber glove, uh, you know, designed to go on a guy's penis. And so, you know, you're basically, you know, I guess the basic way uh, to put this uh, for women uh, to determine whether the condom is what has prevented you from having orgasms uh, prior uh, to getting married and getting rid of the condom is go ahead and try masturbating, right? And then next time, masturbate again using a rubber glove and see how the sensation differs. Is it much harder to masturbate when you're using a rubber glove? Or heck, you know, if you're using a vibrator, throw a condom on the vibrator and see how much it changes the feeling. You know, so, you know, the condom, you know, like I said, we all know it sucks. It has many drawbacks, you know, reduces the sexual pleasure, but we put up with it as part of premarital pregnancy uh, prevention. Now, as adults, you know, you women are then able to go through and get your hands on birth control without needing, you know, your parents, you know, uh, to get them for you, you know, because you're of age and you're able to get them on your own. And so you may have already figured out that, you know, bareback feels a lot better. You know, and so maybe you're already going through uh, with that, but you still have this whole, you know, the guy has to pull out, right? The guy has to pull out because, you know, birth control is not 100% effective, you know, and you may not want to deal with the whole idea of, you know, sperm and cum and all of that dripping out of you, you know, afterwards. You may not like the consequences. However, after marriage, that changes, you know, whether you use birth control or not, you know, asking your guy to wear a condom, asking your husband to wear a condom, or even asking him to pull out when he ejaculates, that is just cruel in a marriage because once you're married, you know, the condoms are gone and pulling out during ejaculation is no longer the case. You know, you're no longer to do that. You're married and having sex in a marriage means you're going to deal with the fact that he's going to ejaculate inside of you without any condoms. All right. To do otherwise is basically being a bad wife and ruin because you're ruining his sexual pleasure. I mean, think about this. What if he pulled out every time uh, you started to orgasm, how much that would ruin the orgasm for you and ruin your sexual pleasure, you know? And so going through and forcing him to, you know, pull out or wear a condom every time you have sex, you're ruining the best part of his sexual pleasure. You're ruining every orgasm that he has, you know, uh, forcing him to do so. And that is just being, you know, a bad spouse, you know, and I'm coming at it, of course, from a guy's perspective. I know that you'll have to deal with it dripping out, draining or whatever, you know, but guess what? That's just part of being married. That's just part of being in a loving relationship. Now you do have other options, you know, I mean, there's no other option for dealing with the fact that you're going to, as a wife, allow your husband to ejaculate inside of you every time. But, you know, as you know, an adult, you have more birth control options, you know, uh, such as, you know, uh, pills, IUDs, and so on and so forth. Now, some of them are hormonal. Some of them are not hormonal. If you don't want to deal with the fact that, you know, you have to, 
you know, deal with the birth control, then you'll just have to accept the fact that anytime uh, you have sex could mean that you're going to get pregnant and start your family there, which since you're married, you know, getting pregnant shouldn't be, you know, you know, much of a bad idea or much of a fear. That should be something that you're normally willing to do as part of the marriage. Now, of course, you know, family planning and all of that. So you got to discuss how many kids uh, you're willing to have. Now, you know, as we go through here, you know, it is always, of course, a good idea that before you get married, that you discuss certain things and how many kids you're going to have is going to be one of those things uh, that you discuss prior to the relationship and come to an agreement, you know, prior to your marriage. Now. Once you're done having kids, you know, whether you only want one kid, you want three kids, you want six kids, you know, that part is up to you. You know, um, how many kids, you know, you discussed on having prior to getting married. But once you're done having kids, then, then birth control, you know, becomes a two-way street where a vasectomy, you know, is an option. You know, the only reason why a vasectomy is not an option prior, you know, to when you're done having kids is because, well, it's a permanent thing. You know, there really is no undoing a vasectomy. Now, of course, you're saying, well, there are some procedures I'll do. Yeah, but the effectiveness of undoing a vasectomy is very low. So once a vasectomy is done, it's pretty much you're done having kids. You know, but that is an option. You know, so that you don't have to take take birth control after you're done having kids. You don't have to deal with taking something uh, with hormones in it, you know, and all of that. You know, so you can get to being all natural and not, you know, artificially changing things. But, you know, even uh, after the vasectomy, you're still not going to be able to force him to pull out. You know, that is the one thing. You know, regardless of your family planning, you know, that changes, you know, definitely after marriage, where prior to marriage, you, you know, you are well within your rights to ask him to pull out, you know, not to ejaculate inside of you and all of that. But after marriage, boom, one of the benefits of being married is not having to pull out, being able to finish inside, you know, and being able to experience the full, unabridged sexual pleasure. And so I get that, you know, you may find it, you know, less than desirable, but guess what? You know, marriage is about caring about the other person, you know, and I get it. You're going, well, why don't you care about us? And it's like, okay, you know what? There are times and events, all right? There are exceptions to everything, you know, such as if you're going to a family event the next day, you know, and you don't want it dripping out of you, fine. You know, I get it. But just, you know, because you have to get up and go to work the next day, no, that is not an excuse because then basically you're only going to be able to have sex only on the days when you have the next day off or when you have the day off you know, in order to avoid it, which means you're not going to have very much sex in your relationship. So while there are special events in which, you know, you can on occasion, you know, have your husband pull out for the most part, you know, 
once you're married, boom, you can expect that every time you have sex, it's gonna you're gonna be uh, having his ejaculate inside of you. That's just the way it is. That's part of marriage, right? And you know what? You sh- you know you should be able to you know deal with it. You're a grown ass woman. You're married, right? The part about you having sex and allowing that is just part of the marriage. Don't ruin, you know, your spouse's sexual pleasure and fun, you know, because uh, you think it's a inconvenience for you afterwards. All right. So that is my uh, two cents on one of the things that changes after you get married. All right. And yes, I am pretty bullish uh, on this point. And because the, I remember the times when I had to pull out, you know, uh, before marriage and how it ruined it every time for me and left me, you know, sexually unsatisfied, you know, did not, you know, provide for my sexual gratification. And I would spend a lot of time, you know, uh, just trying to figure out how to get, you know, to that sexual uh, satisfaction. You know, after marriage and being able to, you know, not have to pull out, I found sex to be far more gratifying and pleasurable. So that's just something uh, for you to, you know, realize, you know, after you're married. Okay, so let's move along. All right, ladies, there are five questions, five questions you need to stop asking the men in your life. Right, five questions that are only designed to either get them in trouble or create problems in the relationship. Right, whether that is you're looking for a fight or you're looking to annoy your significant other. Either way, there are five basic questions that you need to stop asking. All right, so what is question number one? You're walking along out in public, maybe you're out on a date night, you're strolling. And all of a sudden, you point at another girl and go, is that woman prettier than me? Now, I get what you're doing, right? And so let me explain this. The answer is yes, right? And you're going, well, that's cruel. But let's actually dissect this question here. One, you're fishing for a compliment, right? You're fishing for an ego boost. And the reason why the answer is yes to if that woman is prettier than you is because you picked her out, right? You picked her out. So what are you going to do if you're looking for a compliment? Are you going to point at a woman that you know is vastly less attractive than you and go, hey, is that woman prettier than me? Well, when the guy answers, you know, no, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, answers, um, you know, if you ask if you're prettier than her and asks and answers yes, well, that's not much of a compliment, uh, is it? Because you already knew that you were prettier than her. You picked her out. So that doesn't boost your ego nearly as much as what you want it to. So you scan the area for any woman that by societal standards you know is already more attractive than you. You picked her out in order to ask that question because you're fishing for a compliment and an ego boost. So any woman that you pick out yourself to ask your man if she's prettier than you, the answer is already yes, 
because you picked her, right? You picked based off of what you thought was more attractive than you. Now, of course, guys, guys, let's be honest. If you're asked this question, you're not going to be answering honestly here. The only right answer for men uh, to have is to go, what woman, right? Because here's another trap here. You know, not only are you picking her out, so the answer is already yes as you're fishing for an ego boost, but if he actually looks at her and tries to gauge, right, first of all, any hesitation where it's not clearly, no, no, you're more attractive, honey, you know, any hesitation on that, you're going to think is cause for a fight and for you to be mad. But secondly, if he actually takes the time to look and evaluate, well, then you just got him to check out another woman, which then you're going to go off and ask, well, why were you checking her out? Oh, if you don't believe she's more beautiful, then why were you staring at her? Well, because you picked her out. He did, He probably didn't even notice her or even know that she was around until you picked her out and asked him to actually look at her in order to compare the two of you, right? And then, of course, if he you know tries to say, well, no, honey, she's not more beautiful. You are. Well, you picked her out, so you already know he's lying. And so you're going off and saying you want an honest relationship, and then you put him in a situation where the only answer in which you know isn't an insult towards you is a lie, but then you get mad that he's lying. Right. And there, and you know, he's lying because again, you picked him out. So here's the deal, girls. Stop asking this question. Any girl in which you pick out to have him compare you to, you already know the answer because it wouldn't be an ego boost if you picked out a woman that you knew was uglier than you to ask him to make the comparison. Make sense? Okay. Let's move on. To the next question, you got to stop asking. And that is a blatant, do you notice anything different about me? Right? Anything different about you compared to what? You women change your looks almost on a daily basis. You think a guy is going to notice every little change about you? And I get it. You're going, Well, if he really cares, he would notice. But guys can't keep track of how much you change. You know, first off, what are you changing? One shade of blonde to another shade of blonde and then asking him? Guys do not have the the color range spectrum that women have. Plus, let's also take a look at, you know, this whole, do you notice anything different? Well, take a look at your makeup kit. How many different shades of lipstick do you have? How many different types and colors of press-on nails do you have? How many different ways do you do your makeup in a week? You know, putting on different shades and eyeliners and, you know, uh, or eyeshadows and, you know, all of that. Basically, asking a guy if he notices anything different He's going to look at you and go, you look different every day. Can you be a little more specific? Did you do anything drastically different? And guys aren't going to pay attention to your shoes. So if what's different is shoes, then no. And about your dress, you got a new dress. You think guys are going to be able to really notice that 
you know, a new outfit, especially if you get a new outfit all the time, you know, or on a pretty regular basis. I mean, sure, if you're going from blonde hair to black hair, sure, he'll notice that. Blonde hair to red hair, sure. But if you're constantly changing your hair color, you know, asking him if he notices anything different, you know, he'll he'll perceive that your hair color is different. But if you're always changing your hair color, he's not going to think of that as any big change for noticing. So what are you asking him? Does he notice a difference about? I mean, heck, you even do your hair differently, you know, a lot, right? You know, depending on, you know, what you're doing. So you need to stop asking him if he notices anything different because you, with your makeups and your hair and your, you know, nails and all of that, you're changing on a daily basis. At this point, you know, asking us if we notice anything different would just be like if you looked the exact same way two days in a row. That would be different. But you looking different on a daily basis is not different. The guy is not going to be able to keep track of all the different ways you look and all the differences day to day. You know, we only have so much capacity for memory. Memorizing your looks on a day-to-day basis and being able to point out you know, uh, the, how many times you've changed the color of your lipstick, eyeshadow, and all of that day to day, we're not going to be able to keep track of that. So stop asking us if, you know, we notice anything different because every day you're different. And so different just becomes normal. All right. So stop asking that question, especially in that open-ended way. Another thing, how did your day go? Okay, now this is one of those questions where it depends on whether or not you should be asking this. And it depends on, are you actually interested in what he has to say? Are you actually interested in how his day went? Is he in a career field in which how his day went would provide any interest to you? Right? Are you actually asking this question because you're genuinely interested or are you asking this question because you know that his answers are going to be, you know, short? Uh, not bad. Same as always, the usual. Well, now that I listen and now that you listen to his day, now he's obligated to listen to your day. Are you asking that question because you're genuinely interested? Or because you know the answer is going to be, you know, pretty short, one or two minutes. And then he, and then think he is obligated to hear about every single detail of your day. Especially, especially if he just walked through the door and you're not giving him any chance to relax. You're going, well, how was your day? Yeah, it was fine. Same as always. Okay, great. Let me tell you what happened to me. See, I was going, you know, starting off the day pretty well and everything. And then Jenna over from so-and-so department, well, she, you know, started talking, you know, about such and such, which created this whole issue because, you know, she's a backstabber spreading rumors. And so this started a chain reaction. I mean, I mean, are you really asking because you're interested or are you just trying to open up a gateway for you to have a long conversation about your day? You know? Because you know that men, by and large, you know, don't really talk in lots of details. We'll give you 
maybe a brief summary of the highlights. And so you know you only have to fake interest for two to five minutes. And then you want to spend the next two hours talking about your day because you just want to talk about your day, right? So you got to stop asking the question of how did your day go if you're not actually interested. If you're only asking that question so that you can open up uh, a gateway in order for you to go on and on and on about your day, right? Stop asking the question. All right. The next thing you need to stop asking men. What are you thinking about? All right, the reason why you need to stop asking this question is because, well, there's a lot of times when a guy is not actually thinking about anything. We got this spot called the empty box. You know, maybe you remember this from episodes back, you know, where guys can actually sit in silence without a thought in their head, just completely shut down, space off, zone off, not think about a thing. And then you're asking him what he thinks about, and he goes, eh, nothing. And you don't want to believe it because you as women cannot sit around for any period of time without a thought, without thinking about something. So you don't believe him. And so now you're starting an argument because you refuse to accept the honest truth from him that he's not thinking about anything, right? That he's going through and just relaxing, completely shutting down. and you know, basically in a waking sleep state, you know, where nothing is really going on, you know, and even if he is thinking, you know, about something, again, you have to ask yourself, are you really interested in what he's thinking about? He might be thinking about the stats, you know, of the players uh, on the team for an upcoming sporting event. Do you care about that sport? He might be processing a problem at work. You know, and let's face it, if one of you is an interior decorator and the other one is a computer programmer, are you going to go through and hold interest in what they're processing, you know, problems they come across? Now, yes, women could be the programmer and men could be the interior decorator or vice versa. But here's the thing. You know, uh, one thing about men when it comes to asking, what are you thinking about? If they're there thinking about a problem, you know, they're not going to want to talk to you about it if it's a work-related problem. And here's why. Men get frustrated about having to have a conversation with people that aren't able to solve a problem that they're working on. You know, it would take a lot of time away from focusing on finding a solution to try and go through and get you caught up on what the problem is, explain it, explain why it's a problem, explain what the solutions were. And, you know, you go off and come up with something that you don't even understand, you know, going, well, why don't you try X? And, you know, you don't realize X is not even feasible because you don't know the industry or the problem. Now, if you work in the same industry, okay, that's a different story. But if you work in completely different industries and you don't have a frame of reference, he's wasting a lot of time trying to, you know, go through and explain a lot of things to you uh, that you probably don't really understand because you're not in the business or the industry, right? And it's taking time away from him trying to solve the problem. It would be like vice versa, you know, him trying to ask you what's on your mind. You're dealing with a problem at work. He wants to come up with a solution for you, but he doesn't even understand the environment in which you work in. Do you really find that helpful? 
do you really find that as, you know, a way to actually deal and solve problems? No. You know, instead, you find yourself just wasting time, and then, you know, it's, you know, hour or so later, and, you know, you're, you know, just lost that hour trying to find a solution, trying to explain what the problem is. You know, so the whole, what are you thinking about? Heck, all he may be thinking about, you know, in generality, if he's having a thought, he might be thinking about wanting to strip you naked and throw you on the bed. You know, but, you know, it's the middle of the day. The kids are still awake. Can't do it. What's the point? You know, and talking about it, you know, or, you know, maybe you're visibly not in the mood. You know, maybe you're on your monthly cycle. Maybe you're just, you know, frustrated and having a bad day. And, you know, you're crabby. You have the words fuck off written across your forehead. You're asking him what he's thinking about. And what he's thinking about is the last thing you want to hear. And he knows that. He knows telling you what he's thinking about is only going to put you in an even worse mood. Because, man, why is that all you care about? No, really? Is that what you're going to go through? All right. The next thing is, what's the show about? Really? Okay, so I've had this happen many times where I'd be in the middle of watching a show. You know, I'm watching something that I'm interested in. You know, my spouse's or my wife was off, you know, doing something. She finally decides to take a break from whatever it is she's doing. She comes in. She sees, you know, a minute of the show and then starts asking questions. You know, why are they doing that? What happened? She expects me to stop the show or the movie, explain everything that's happened up to that point to catch her up so that she can continue watching from then on, which ruins the experience of the show or the movie or whatever for the guy. Or you're watching sports, right? And she comes in and starts asking a bunch of questions because she doesn't understand the sports, and maybe she thought, okay, maybe I'll start taking an interest so that we can do something together. And so the game's going on, and now the guy is missing out on some major plays and major events uh, that are going on, trying to explain what it is going on. So if you're going to try and take interest in a show or sport or whatever, ask questions and ask him to explain it either during break, right? Or, you know, break it, you know, if it's sports, or wait until after it's over and ask questions before the next episode airs or begins or whatever. You know, don't go through in the middle of uh, of a show or sports, you know, or whatever. Ask him to, you know, pause, stop, or, you know, stop paying attention to it to explain to you what you need to know to get caught up so you can watch it from then on, right? If you really think it's something that you'll be interested in from the few minutes that you're that you watch, then wait until he's done watching it, you know, or go over to another TV and watch it yourself, right? Take some time to watch it yourself instead of ruining it for him, asking him to explain it while he's trying to watch and enjoy it, right? So those are five things you need to stop asking the men in your life. I wasn't originally going to talk about this, but 
It's just something that came to mind as I was starting to record, and that is a conversation that is hard to have uh, with your spouse. Well, let's be more specific, a conversation to have if you have mismatched libidos, because one of the things is one of you may desire sex more than the other, and the other one may just not have motivation to have sex or have a hard to meet your libido. And so this becomes a particularly hard conversation, especially if it's uh, a situation where the guy has the higher libido, because if you go off and start bluntly stating, hey, you know, you know, we need to have a conversation. I need to have more sex. You know, I'm feeling sexually frustrated and all that. You know, if that is the guy, you know, starting off the conversation like that, the reason why it's so hard is because women like to internalize everything, right? They like to go through and, well, I shouldn't say like, they just naturally do internalize it as a criticism or as a statement that, hey, you're just not satisfying me or, you know, whatever. And that's not the case. You know, the person is just trying to have an honest conversation. Now, in the situation where it's reversed, where uh, you women have a higher libido than your man, and, you know, that may be, you know, a, a difference in age where there was a time when he had the higher libido. And then as you got older and you hit your, you know, sexual peak, uh, who had the higher libido change? You know, it can still be a delicate uh, situation where, by, you know, a guy might be thinking, whoa, I'm not satisfying her as much. Or, you know, when we do have sex, you know, it's not as gratifying or as satisfying to her as it used to be. What's going on? I'm still, you know, trying to put in my best A game every night. And so, all well, every night that we do. And so, it, it gets to be a hard conversation. And so, if you're going to go through and, you know, have this conversation. And it is a conversation that you need to have if you do have mismatched libidos. Maybe, you know, you should start off by, you know, having your spouse uh, listen to this portion uh, of the podcast. See, the point is your spouse is not criticizing or trying to say that you're not as sexually satisfying as you were before. They're just saying, hey, you know, I just have a higher libido. I desire you more is probably a great way, you know, to start this off because it's kind of hard to take it negatively. If you start off the conversation with, Hey, I desire you more uh, than, you know, what you are currently, you know, motivated for or what your current drive is. And so, you know, we need to have a conversation, maybe, you know, meet halfway uh, between our two libidos. Because it is natural for one person to go off and think that if they're not in the mood, then it's, you know, their spouse isn't in the mood. You know, they should have the same type of libido or it's hard to think of your partner's sexual needs when you're not sexually aroused, you know, and how men and women get sexually aroused can be different, you know. So you'll want to go through and have a gentle uh, conversation and have it in a judgment-free zone where no one's allowed to get upset at anybody else and just start off with saying, hey, you know, I desire, you know, you more. 
And I was wondering if there's anything uh, that we can do to motivate you to sexually desire me more often uh, than what you do. You know, so you go off and you start having uh, that type of conversation rather than saying, hey, you know, I'm not getting as much sex as I want. You know, that is, you know, a bad way to start off by saying, hey, I desire you more you know, is probably uh, the best way to go in and then just kind of explain, you know, how much more, you know, is it just increasing sexual activity one more night a week or is it two more nights a week and where you can land in between uh, your mismatched libidos? Okay. Now, for some of you, you know, especially, you know, as you get older, you know, and you've engaged in lots of uh, sex with your partner, I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, there's probably a good portion of your life, especially early on, where, you know, early in your marriage, you're probably going at it, you know, three, four times a week. And, you know, you started realizing that things were getting kind of same old, same old. You know, you're going through a routine, so you decided to spice it up. Well, as it goes through, you might be figuring out that you're running out of ideas on how to spice it up and keep it interesting or keep it new and fresh, you know, because first, when you go through this, you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. And so question number one, if you find yourself running out of new ideas, is it because you actually tried everything or is it because you just have a limited imagination? Right, because we are limited by our imaginations. I mean, think about how many, you know, uh, books there are about sex and relationships. How many different, you know, uh, versions of the Kama Sutra there are. All the websites, all the writings, all everything. You know, is it because you really did try just about everything uh, that there is? You know, or is it just because you have a limited imagination and you can't, you know, come up uh, with new ideas? Question number two. Is it because you actually tried everything, uh, you know, uh, and looked up everything that you can uh, possibly find for new ideas? Or is it you're running out of new ideas because of your own limitations? And when I say limitations, I mean things that you're just unwilling to try or unwilling to explore. So sorry about having to take a little bit of a pause uh, right there and edit out some things. Uh, my three-year-old uh, was deciding to interrupt and starting to get uh, pretty loud, so I had to edit that out. Uh, but in any event, as I was saying, uh, some of the reasons why you might be running out of ideas is because you have limitations, not just to your imaginations, but what you're willing to try. For instance, uh, there's a lot of women uh, whose hard no or limitations might involve anal play, you know, getting into butt plugs or anal sex. And and that uh, limitation uh, can, will limit, you know, some of the things uh, that you can explore or try out for new ideas. Guys uh, will have uh, limitations as well as far as what they're willing to try. You know, the older they get, the less adventurous uh, they get, you know, for outdoor stuff. And so, you know, you, you got to start asking yourself, are you truly out of ideas or are you just out of uh, ideas of things that you're willing to do? You know, and when it comes to, you know, marriages and long-term relationships, you know, keeping it fresh is about pushing yourself to new boundaries, you know, in order to try and keep up, you know, 
the excitement that you felt uh, when you first started having sex or started exploring uh, each other's bodies, you know, when you first met. You know, your imagination, if it's limited, you know, you you can, you know, feel like you've run out of ideas, you know, because maybe you're too self-conscious to even allow yourself to think of certain things. You know, for instance, let's say uh, you have a pool uh, that you can put in your backyard, you know, an above ground pool, you know, and it's only like three feet deep or something. And you're going, okay, you know what? You know, I, I know that I could have sex in the pool, you know, sex in the water and all of that. But man, I don't have a fence, uh, you know, and so even though it might be, you know, at night where most people are probably asleep because they got to get up and go to work the next day or, you know, uh, something like that, you know, you're still too self-conscious about the idea of getting caught by somebody, you know, Driving by, of course, that also depends on where you are in your neighborhood, whether you're on the corner lot or in the middle. The more you are in the middle, the less likely you're going to be seen uh, in the dark uh, by someone passing by uh, the street, you know, on the end of the block and depending on that. But still, you you might still be self-conscious about the idea, you know, that you might wake up your neighbors or whatever. And so, you know, although it's an idea that you can have, your self-consciousness, you know, tends to make you, you know, impose limitations. And even if you're very confident about your body and you have no self-consciousness, um, you know, or bashfulness in front of your spouse, you know, when it gets to doing stuff outside, you start to impose limitations because you're self-conscious about other people. And that will also, you know, limit, you know, a lot of the outdoor things like going uh, on a hike in the woods and then just randomly, you know, having sex outside in the woods and all of that. So, you know, you'll go through and, you know, think that you've run out of ideas when really it's just limitations, whether it's limited thinking because you're not that imaginative or because you're too, you know, self-conscious or shy uh, about doing things uh, more adventurously. Now, there is a possibility that maybe you have truly tried everything. I mean, if you're having sex three, four times a week, you know, and you're doing this and you've been married, you know, uh, 10 to 20 years, it is possible that you've gone through every position in the Kama Sutra. You've gone through, you know, uh, you know, indoor, outdoor, back seats, you know, out in the wild, you know, in a pool, you may have done all types of dress up and role playing and bondage. You may have, you know, gone through, uh, you know, all the, all of this, uh, with anal play, you know, as well, you know, and you just truly ran out of things because you kept, you know, trying new things, you know, each and every time you know, with very little uh, repeating, you know. And so uh, with that, I mean, if you really truly have, you know, gone through and tried everything, uh, then go back through and redo it and keep a record of what things you did like and what things you didn't like. And looking back uh, at the past, you know, knowing what you liked and didn't like, you can start, you know, kind of planning a rotation, 
you know, I get it. I get it. Uh, planning a rotation doesn't mean it's spontaneous and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And sometimes you have to give up on the idea of spontaneous sex. You know, although you can still have spontaneousness, uh, you can plan, like, if you're still going at it three times a week, one day a week, you know, one of those three days, you know, you go back and you agree that you're going to do something off the list. You know, repeat something, do something, and as you do, you check it off. You know, maybe you keep, you know, uh, it as an electronic, you know, a record like in uh, Microsoft OneNote or Evernote or whatever you do, you know, so that you can quickly uncheck it, you know, uh, when you're done, you know, and going back through the rotation. Or maybe, you know, you put it up in an Excel uh, spreadsheet, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, there are different ways uh, to track it. And then you just agree that you're going to rotate through. And every time you go through a rotation of all the things uh, that you like sexually, then you go ahead and mix up the order and go back through it again. I mean, it is possible to run out of new ideas of things that you you can do during sex. And so, therefore, you know, the only thing that you can do is hope that you liked enough of the things that you tried in order to keep a rotation going on. To, so that you're not doing one thing too many times, you know, and just having a rotation and keeping, you know, uh, things different just from time to time, you know, making it so that no two nights are the same, that can help keep it fresh and exciting uh, much longer. You know, hopefully uh, you'll be able to do this enough that by the time you truly run out of any excitement, of anything, you know, new to do or, you know, everything, no matter how many times you rotate, it feels the same. Hopefully, you know, by that time, you're old enough where you just don't really have all that excitement anyways, you know, but you never know. But there are times when you may feel like you're running out of ideas, you know, and, you know, you just got to figure out, you know, whether, you know, you really have or not, you know, or if you just can't bring yourself to do any new things. You're too, you know, shy, too bashful, too self-conscious about trying anything new. You know, there, there are limits though on positions, right? I mean, even the Kama Sutra, there's only so many ways you can bend and twist your body, uh, in order to have sex, right? And so when it comes to switching up and getting new ideas for sex, it's not so much about positions as it is about things that you can add or, or locations. You know, that's really where the, you know, ideas come from because there's only so many ways you can think of in order to engage in sex. You know, I mean, and when I say that, I mean, you know, from which penetration can occur. You know, whether that's from behind, you know, you, t- you know, um, scissored, you know, um, face to face, you know, uh, who's on top, you know, you know, there's only so many different positions, uh, that you can actually think of or choose from that the body, you know, can twist into. And so your imagination or, you know, new ideas is going to come out of, you know, the, you know, what you add to it, you know, the role playing, the bondage, the locations, you know, in which you go uh, at it, you know, and how many holes uh, you're going to, sh- you know, stuff at once or go through, you know, keeping everything fresh is just about mixing up, 
you know, the types of toys, outfits, and imagination play that you can think of, right? And so here, you know, keeping things fresh, you know, the more imagination you have, the longer you can keep everything fresh and you feeling all nice and young, right? Uh, those with limited imaginations are going to find themselves, you know, in a rut uh, with their sex life, going through and thinking, you know, it's just all kind of the same. Yeah, I'm a little horny, but uh, it's just all kind of the same, yada, 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 right? So challenge each other for more imagination, brainstorm together ideas, right? Do what you can, you know, just understand that, you know, eventually, yes, you are going to run out of ideas. One of the things that's going to be a running theme and has been a running theme in this podcast is that in a marriage or in any relationship, you know, romantic sexual relationship, communication is always the key. You know, you both have to be engaged in your sex life, engaged in your marriage, engaged in communication in and out of the bedroom. I get it. You know, the idea of putting on each other's calendars, you know, setting aside time in order to talk about your sex life and things that you want to do or try is maybe not the most romantic thing that you can think of, but man, when you do and you actually go through with that list, woo boy, you know, you can have a lot of fun. You got to have communication, you know? And so, yes, this does mean that, you know, in addition to scheduling sex, you do need to schedule time periodically to talk about your sex life. You know, to talk about, you know, the bedroom and, you know, how things are going, things you want to try, ideas and all of that. And I get it. When you schedule things in advance, you can't really determine whether or not you're really in the mood to talk about it. But here's what I found out. If when you put something on the calendar, especially when it comes to, you know, sex or talking about sex uh, with your partner, you know, seeing that coming up and having a calendar reminder coming up, you know, you know that the, that it's, you know, happening, that it's something that you plan for. So you do start thinking about it. And when you do start thinking about it, boom, you start getting into the mood, at least, you know, uh, most of the time. Now, when it comes to, you know, uh, scheduling a meeting, you know, uh, with your spouse, you know, for you to spend you know, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour to talk about sex, you know, and you can figure out, is this a monthly meeting every other month, once a quarter, you know, whatever the case uh, may be, you know, uh, you go through and you both have to be prepared for the conversation, right? You both have to be prepared. I mean, you know, you showing up uh, to, you know, a, a time for, you know, you to talk about your sex life and you come up with nothing, right? You just come in uh, to there thinking, okay, I'll just listen to what the other person has to say. Well, you're not really contributing or engaging into the relationship. You know, any relationship requires constant maintenance. It's like a garden. You know, if you just think, okay, I planted a seed and, you know, it will grow on its own and healthy. No, 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 no. While it may grow, it may grow sick. It may grow uh, and be destroyed, you, you got to do maintenance. You got to take care of the garden if it's going to bear any good fruits or any good food. 
you know. Uh, boy, I'm not sure how much I can take a garden metaphor, especially since I'm not a gardener. But you have to be willing to be fully engaged in the conversation and in the act for you to have a fully fulfilling sex life in your marriage. And there is so many benefits to a fulfilling sex life in a marriage. You know, there's a lot of health benefits, uh, both physical and mental health. There's a lot of life benefits, you know, to having a fully engaged sex life, you know, and it does take work. You know, if you never talk about sex and you never communicate about what it is you're going to do, you know, what ends up happening? You just stick to maybe a routine where one of you just decides that you just lie there and the other person does all the work, you know, or, you know, you both, you know, engage uh, in the bedroom, but you keep doing the same things because you never talk about anything else uh, that you want to do. And while it's important that you be willing to try everything with your spouse and try it at least once, it's just as important that you come up with ideas yourself, right? So just like it's important to go off and be willing to let him, you know, try everything with you and he let you try, you know, everything with him at once, it's also important that, you know, you uh, be engaged enough that you come up with the ideas. You think about things that you want to do. You think about things that you want to try. You know, what you don't want to be is dead wood. And some of you don't understand the expression, you know, man, you know, I had sex with this person and they were dead wood. No, no, it's not referring to a man. It's referring to someone who believes their role uh, in the bedroom is to just, you know, lie there and let the other person do all the work and let the other person do everything that their only job is to just show up and let it happen. That's what we, you know, uh, called dead wood, you know, and so you got to be willing to engage. Now, does that mean every time? No, sometimes it is nice, you know, to just be able to lay back, relax and let the, let your partner be the one to, you know, bring you all the pleasure, you know, while you get to be there and enjoy it. Just like, you know, sometimes it'd be nice, you know, for you to be the one delivering all the pleasure while your partner gets to lay back and enjoy it. You know, it, there is time for that. But a lot of times you need to both be fully engaged uh, in the bedroom and be fully engaged in any conversation uh, about, you know, the bedroom and things that you would like to do or try. You know, in or out of the bedroom. You don't want to make your spouse feel like their mean or their needs don't matter to you or that the relationship is just a chore. You know, that every time you go in and have sex, the idea that you have to do something is a chore or that sex is a chore or man, you know, this relationship really feels like a chore. Why can't, you know, it just be, you know, whatever I want, however I want. No, no, no. You don't want the other person to feel like they don't matter and that the relationship is just a boring chore to you. You want to, you know, be engaged in keeping it exciting. You know, keeping the relationship fun, exciting, and full of sex, you know, can be the key uh, to staying fit and feeling young, being full of energy, happy and healthy and all of that. You know, you want to know about the, you know, uh, fountain of youth, the secret, you know, to youth. And that is engaging in fun activities. I mean, if all you do is, you know, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you know, you do chores, try and take care of the kids' needs, put them to bed, 
you know, lay down, have your partner get on top and, you know, wham, bam, roll over, go to sleep, you know, and repeat. Well, you're going to feel old, tired and worn out, you know, pretty easily, you know, and pretty fast. It's by keeping things, you know, fresh and realizing that, hey, you know, you need to think about fun and excitement that keeps you feeling young and invigorated. All right. So that's it uh, for this episode. I'd like to thank you so much for your time and attention. Hey, please leave me a rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast so that others can find me and get an idea of, you know, whether or not they'll enjoy the show too. And, you know, it's definitely a good idea to listen to this podcast with your spouse. All right. Thank you so much for your time and attention. And I will be back again soon.